0: So sit tight, buckle up, and let's get started on today's podcast. Welcome back to part two of the You've Got Questions, We've Got Answers episode, our Q&A with exercise expert, Adam Martin. Adam is an accredited exercise physiologist and has been in the industry for almost 15 years. Adam specializes in helping people get back to and beyond their pre-injury state. Adam has worked with clients that range from large companies such as Amazon to Olympic athletes and 94-year-olds looking to stay mobile in their later years. Adam has also written an Amazon best-selling book about fasting called Start Late, Stay Light, and also runs an Instagram page called The No Breakfast Guy. Today, Adam is continuing to answer all your questions around exercise. This episode is part two of the two-part series, so if you missed the first one, please go back and check out part one today adam and i cover the following topics whether stretching and foam rolling is really necessary the most common causes of lower back pain and how to treat it how many reps to do for weight loss and toning whether stretching actually prevents injuries and whether we should even do it the best tips to improve posture for desk workers how long it takes females to actively put on muscle and how often they should be weight training and the best exercises for strong abs and how to build them we hope you enjoy the podcast, and as always, please take 10 seconds to click the five-star review at the bottom of the podcast app if you enjoy these podcasts. These ratings mean so much to me, guys, and I can't thank you enough. Our podcast today is brought to you by my favorite olive oil brand, Cobra Estate. Cobram Estate is Australia's leading producer of extra virgin olive oil. To find out more, visit their website at www.cobramestate.com.au. Welcome back, Adam, to podcast number two, where you're going to answer all of our listener questions around training and exercise physiology. We're very excited to have you back.
1: Amazing to be back. Thank you so much.
0: Well, if you guys didn't listen to the first podcast that we did with Adam, please go back and listen to that one first. We answered I think seven or eight of our listener questions. We talked all about the different types of exercises you should be doing if your goal is weight loss or muscle gain, how to run a half marathon, whether or not you should train when you're sick, whether you should do cardio or weights first, and then we also talked quickly about tips for improving technique and avoiding injury during um, females and time of month. So we've got another seven or eight questions to fire at Adam today. So I'm going to kick straight into it. If you want to know a little bit more about adam and his background and um his story in terms of how he became an exercise physiologist what he does day to day please go back and listen to that first podcast but i'm gonna jump straight in adam and i'm gonna hit you with the hard one straight away let's do it so first question is from jordan is stretching or foam rolling necessary after weight training if so how often should we do it
1: um no not necessary um but i don't think it's going to be of injury to uh the big gripe I see these days is still people stretching before exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been known for a very long time that this not only is of no benefit to you, but it could potentially be putting you at risk of further injury. Um, this idea that you're warming up before um, exercise, there's just no warming or in, increasing blood flow to that area by stretching it. Um, so. If you're going for a run, maybe just warming up with a slow jog or a walk um, could be as a warm-up. If you're about to hit the gym, you know, looking at the pathways you're about to do. So if you're about to do a, a bench press, maybe doing some push-ups or a lighter version of the bench press or maybe doing some dumbbells would be a far greater benefit to you with regards to warming up. But on the back end of it, the jury's still out. Some will say stretching's good for you. Some will say it's not. Some will say foam rolling's great. Some will say no, You know, spiky balls, whatever it might be. I say do what um, kind of makes you. and. A placebo works even if it doesn't technically work in the kind of clinical sense when you're looking at the research. So if it works for you and you have this placebo effect that you feel better for it, then absolutely do it. So um, I certainly have plenty of clients who sit there and say, I have to stretch or I'm so much um, sore the next day or I pull up a lot tighter. Absolutely. Spend that time stretching, getting on the foam roller, doing it. I have others who have never stretched in their life and don't really kind of suffer from too much pain or discomfort or kind of tightness that's them and so I think they're lucky because yeah I spend time myself uh, on a foam roller every single day Um, I think for me it certainly benefits Um, and I spend a lot of time as we spoke in the last podcast I'm a big runner I put a lot of time on my legs so I put a lot of time into the back end of recovery of that and foam rolling and spiky balls are certainly something that um, have helped me um, I think anyway um, helped me over the years so yeah i I would certainly err on the side of doing it than not doing it mm-hmm. um, and leaving yourself kind of a good five, 10 minutes at the end of your session. But I do it daily and I love the word consistency over perfection. Just be consistent with it. It doesn't have to be every single day, but if you can kind of doing it more often than not, you're going to probably find some benefits for it for sure.
0: Mm, And say, again, you know, people are so busy in this busy world and they're like, I don't have time to exercise and, you know, getting that in is, is a mission for them. Say if they only had three to five minutes and you had to choose stretching or foam rolling after your exercise session, which would be your preference? Oh, good question.
1: Um, I'm I'm going to go on the side of foam rolling. I'm just yeah. I have, and, and this is again just me. So don't take my advice because this just works for me. Find what works for you. But I've I technically really have never stretched in my life, and I've never really had any major injuries from all the running that I've done. Um, I just I think people put far too much emphasis on being hyper flexible. Like again, if you're coming to me and you're a diver, you're a ballerina ballerina or a dance or whatever it might be you're going to need that flexibility sure you're going to be able to probably put your hands on the floor but for the everyday person being able to touch their toes shouldn't be the goal of flexibility like Mm -hmm. it seems to be this gold standard that oh if you can touch your toes all is great Mm -hmm. no I've got people who can't even touch their shins but they have no back pain they have no issues with their hamstrings and so you know what are you trying to do what's your goal and so kind of aim for that um so yeah I'm I'm not going to say I'm biased against stretching, but I would definitely be putting my time and energy into foam rolling and spiky balls, cross balls. They're horrible, but um, they do a world of good um, to kind of really digging in there deep and kind of working out some of that tension that you m- may have built out from your day sitting down or that time you've just spent in the gym.
0: Mm, definitely. I'm a big fan of um, a bit of spiky balls and foam rolling and that sort of thing as well, particularly if I'm like hanging around at an airport or something. I always take my little spiky ball with me when I fly and travel and that sort of thing as well. Alrighty. Next question from Mindy. Most common cause of lower back pain and how to treat it?
1: Um, Again, from the years and years and years of trying to, I mean, because so many of us are now sitting down um, these days in our jobs, and our lives, um, back pain. And now because of the invention of stand-up desks, I'm seeing less back pain, but now more hip pain because people now stand on one hip all day rather Mm. than sitting down and kind of causing Mm -hmm. back strain. So it's that static movement that is kind of the main cause to so many of our issues that whether you're sitting all day there's nothing evil about sitting it's just the fact that you're in that one position for be it seven eight nine mm. ten hours a day at a desk that's your issue so if you can get a stand-up sit-down desk where you can be sitting for half an hour standing for half an hour and kind of up and down or setting a chimer on your watch or your phone to kind of 30 minutes just to stimulate your oh Get up and everyone. I I have clients all the time. Adam, if I had a chime going off every 30 minutes, I'd never get any work done. Mm. I can guarantee you, you'll be far more productive if you just take 30 seconds to two minutes every half an hour to get up and move because you won't be spent wasting all that time that we can probably all relate to. You know, if you've been sitting down for two or three hours, you fidget for probably 10 minutes every hour because you're oh my back, oh, I'm going to move, you know, kind of in your chair. So get up mm-hmm. every half an hour, two minutes or so, and that will probably alleviate a lot of people's kind of back issues. Um, and the other big one, we spoke about it kind of um, shortly on the previous podcast, but spending time to activate your glutes, sitting down all day and doing nothing on them, just causes a myriad of issues around that hip complex. So that what we call the sacroiliac joint where your spine meets your hips, that area just gets very tight. There's a lot of tendons and muscles that cross that entire complex and they just do not like being in the one position all day, especially a flexed position being kind of you know 90 degrees at the hips. So get those hips um, moving and get your glutes firing and that'll certainly uh, help out majority of people who've got back problems. I, I really, really dislike, and this is going to just be a kind of punch to the industry, I really dislike that people just get sent off all the time for MRIs on their backs. Mm-hmm. If I scanned 100% of the audience listening here today, probably 90 plus percent of you would have some sort of disc bulge going on. It's not a bad thing to have that disc bulge happening. It's just the course of nature. By seeing it there, we can kind of then say, oh, there's my problem. Therefore, I have back problems. I'm going to be – I'm done for the rest of my life. I'm always going to have bad back problems. Mm. Everyone has those issues going in their back. Back, Sure, some people have more so – or like it's a worse kind of bulge or kind of issue going on, but the issue normally isn't stemming from that particular bulge going on in the disc. It's coming from inactivity in those glutes and that tightness in those hips. So get them moving, get them strong, and for most people, that will clear up their back problems.
0: Mm, definitely, yeah. We just sit far too long, don't we? Absolutely. Mm, so even aiming for the, the gold standard of 10,000 steps a day and trying to work that into your work day as well. And as you said, if you're getting up every 30 every thirty minutes to just go make a cup of tea or go walk around the block or go fill up your water tank or go to the bathroom and have a pee or something, at least you're doing something, you're getting a few steps in. Because I remember when I um, used to work up on the wards as a clinical dietitian, I'd easily get 10,000 steps in. I'd take the stairs everywhere. I never took the lift. I would go up to level five, come back down, go to the kitchen, go up to the surgical ward, come back down, go up and down and up and down. And then when I was doing the acting director role, all I was doing was just paperwork and emails all day, every day. I'd be lucky to hit 2000 steps by 5 PM lucky. And then I'd go to the gym and I just do weights and I still wouldn't get really many steps in. So it was a super conscious effort for me to then go for a walk every morning and then go to work and then go to the gym and do my weight training as well, because you just, you, you get nothing when you're sitting down. Absolutely. Wonderful. Well, next question is from Zane, Um, and it probably feeds back into the first one we had from Jordan about stretching and foam rolling. Zane wants to know, my trainer told me that stretching doesn't prevent injury. Should we still do it?
1: Yeah, as I said before, stretching, I can't just put a blanket statement and just say it doesn't do anything to help um, with injury prevention, but Mm -hmm. the idea that stretching before exercise will help prevent injury is 100% a myth, like get Mm -hmm. that idea completely out of your head stretching before exercise should be a complete no, no. And I see no reason unless your kind of chosen sport has a, you know, a heavy emphasis on being hyper-flexible divers, dancers, ballerinas, things like that. But for the majority of you who are just going to the gym or going for your run, you're not in competitive sport. You're just kind of trying to live an active life. Stop stretching before exercise. I, I cannot. And that'll solve so many problems. Like I, People are getting injured because they are stretching before exercise. Mm -hmm. So um, warm yourself up appropriate to the exercise you're going to do. As I said, set those neural pathways. If you're about to do a heavy set in the gym, do something lighter, work up to that main set. Or if you're about to go for a a heavy bike ride, a run, start slowly and progress into it before you're doing your main set for whatever that cardio exercise might be. Uh, But absolutely not. It's not necessary. Um, At the end of exercise, again, the jury's still out. Some say yes, some say no. Um, Do what best suits you and makes you feel best as a recovery process of um, the exercise you've just done. Mm,
0: Awesome. Um, Next question from Claire. So for general weight loss and toning, what is the best number of reps to do in the gym?
1: Um, First, again, Claire, stop using that word toning, go back and listen to our (laughs) previous podcast. You'll know why I just kind of said that, but um, there should be, again, I'm going to use that analogy and I'm going to sound like a broken record, the chocolate cake analogy. It you know, it should be coming um, from a whole heap of different areas. Um, People may have heard, you know, I need to do four to six reps and that helps with strength and Mm -hmm. kind of eight to 12 reps. And that's good for hypertrophy. Mm -hmm. And then 12 to 15 reps, that's good for kind of getting lean and kind of, you know, helping with my endurance in my muscles. Yes, but I think everyone should be doing those kind of ranges at different points in their training. And to the point I think I spoke to on the last podcast in that, progressive overload can happen in a multitude of different ways. You don't just always have to be putting weight on the the rack or the bench or whatever you might be doing. That can come in the way that you're doing the reps or the rest periods that you're having. So I think if someone was looking at their program and they're very early into kind of some sort of strength training, Mm -hmm. I'd probably err on the side of the higher reps, lighter weights, and kind of having a shorter rest period. You're going to probably tax your neural system far less, and that kind of The goal, and again, it's an irk of mine of the industry of kind of people going and, you know, you have to be sore after a workout and I I don't think that should be the benchmark of what a good workout is Mm -hmm. Um, and so get, get away from that idea. But those kind of heavier weights and kind of pushing people to do big volumes and things like that, that's where you kind of can't sit down on the toilet the next day and you're kind of just cursing your trainer and things like that. But if you're kind of erring on the side of lighter weights and more reps and kind of having shorter rest periods, that's where you probably should start with and then kind of shift into maybe a more of a in-quote hypertrophy type phase where you're kind of lifting the weights a little bit more, having a slightly longer rest period, and having those reps be less, and then again moving down again. And these periods could be, again, in a very beginner could be kind of four to six months apart, like really spending a long time in each one of those. For a more experienced lifter who's been lifting for years, they may shift in and out of these phases a little bit more frequent than that, maybe over a kind of eight to 12-week period. Mm-hmm. Um, but absolutely, I think all phases should be a part of um, the program. There's no one that's going to be better for this, that, or the other. But if I had to only choose one range, I'd probably work in the eight to twelve range because you're going to get a bit of benefit from lifting slightly heavier. Because the only really the big stimulus to kind of help muscle protein th- synthesis is lifting heavy stuff. You know, you, you see the big bros kind of talk about lift heavy shit and put it down. It's yeah. <laughs> kind of. I know it's simple, but it it is kind of it does have some truth to it that that big stimulus is going to come from lifting something a bit heavier, mm-hmm. and it's hard to lift something really heavy for fifteen reps. So kind of bringing those reps down. You're going to get that benefit from that. Um, but then kind of helping um, on that lower side, you're getting that kind of strength kind of um, element that you might get from that kind of four to six range. So eight to 12 is probably your best. If you could only ever choose one, that's probably the um, kind of area I'd probably sit around.
0: Mm, but gold standard, as you said, in terms of progressing your fitness journey and your physique and that sort of thing would be to continuously keep moving through those um, yep. ranges.
1: Yeah. And always just trying to progress in whatever way that might be, whether mm-hmm. that's weight, whether that's reps, whether that's rest, different ways of doing it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm.
0: Definitely. Sorry to interrupt this podcast, but I wanted to thank our generous sponsors, my favorite olive oil brand, Cobram Estate. Cobram Estate is Australia's leading producer of extra virgin olive oil. Picked at peak ripeness and gently crushed within four to six hours, the finest Cobram Estate olives yield the freshest, tastiest extra virgin olive oil. And it's all done right here in Australia. Associate Professor Dr. Mary Flynn states that published research shows that no other foods, including other oils, come close to extra virgin olive oil for the prevention and treatment of chronic diseases. I'm proud to partner with Cobram Estate to bust some serious myths and share the facts around oils. 95% of the time, the only oil I use is extra virgin olive oil, and the other 5%, it's another type of oil, but purely for the taste, as I absolutely cannot go past the research and health benefits of extra virgin olive oil, which contain a unique range of plant compounds and antioxidants, including polyphenols, squalene, and alpha-tocopherols. On average, healthy adults should be aiming for two to three tablespoons or 45 mils of extra virgin olive oil per day as part of a healthy, balanced, and Mediterranean-style diet. For more information about why I love and recommend Cobram Estate extra virgin olive oil for all of its health benefits, please visit their website at cobramestate.com.au or their Instagram page at cobramestate. Estate. Now let's get straight back to our podcast. Um, now, next question from Kath kind of ties in again to what we were talking about with the lower back pain. What are the best tips to improve posture for desk workers? So really great question.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, especially, and again, I'm seeing this a lot with um, stand-up desks because you're now, and, and some have set up okay, but some are set just set up poorly, just a lot of workplaces just throwing in stand-up desks thinking, oh, That'll solve solve our issues, but, you know, computer (laughs) heights are terrible. People are using laptops on stands and things like this, and it's just terrible from there. Um, And a lot of it tends to draw the shoulders forward. Uh, And Mm -hmm. so a lot of of people will then start to say, well, I should probably strengthen my back muscles. So doing a lot of rowing-based exercises, I think that should definitely be forming part of it. What I tend to find is a lot of people get very tight in the front of their shoulders because of that rotation and kind of internal rotation forward because of how their shoulders are sitting and how we tend to slump by the end of the day. Mm -hmm. So I think getting a spiky ball or doing some sort of stretching and kind of mobilization through that front of that shoulder, as well as doing some rowing based exercise, whether that's a seated row, a cable row, a lat pull down. Um, one arm row, um, any TheraBand work, so kind of doing reverse flies or kind of rotational work through the rotator cuff, anything that's going to work that back portion of the back um, coupled with some release of the um, front of the shoulders. A really good one that, you know, you can just do in front of the TV is if you get your foam roller and stick it from your head to your bum, so lengthways down your spine, Mm -hmm. and then just put your arms at 90 degrees and just let gravity open up your chest Close your eyes on an ad break. Ad breaks are what, usually, I don't know, three minutes these days. Mm-hmm. Just sit there for three minutes and close your eyes and let gravity open up your chest. It'll do a world of good for that kind of upper back kind of neck um, kind of pain that a lot of us sitting at desks and kind of a lot of people who do have that kind of life um, are starting to get those neck um, and kind of yeah headaches and pain up through that upper back. Mm-hmm. Um, doing that just can be enough to kind of really start alleviate some of that real tension. But then coupling that with the stuff I've just spoken about can be a real good uh, help for that upper back pain. And as I said, we are talking about lower back pain glutes um getting them firing kind of helping out with the hip flexors
0: Mm -hmm. i often find that if i've been at the computer for a little bit too long i've got a standing desk as well but say for example we're doing a podcast you and we've been podcasting for about an hour and a half now because i jumped on yours you jumped on mine and then sometimes if i get up i'll just do something simple like Charles pose like the simple yoga pose and i find that that just helps to stretch out like my back my shoulders my neck everything and i'll just lay there for a couple of minutes and i just feel so much better after that would that be another sort of stretch that you'd recommend in terms of um if someone's been sitting at a desk all day long and they're just a bit stiff and sore.
1: yeah um our spine has terrible blood um supply and the only way blood supply gets in there is through movement so flexion extension which is the kind of bending and extending of the um, spine be that in some sort of yoga pose or um, pilates move or any of those kind of that is going to bend the spine and then have you come back up It's how blood flow actually gets into the spine, the disc and things like that in that area is by that kind of compression and decompression of the spine. So Mm -hmm. absolutely doing as much of that, whether it's, as I said, trying to bend over and touch your toes, child's pose, cobra pose, any of those kind of ones where there's an arch or a bending of the back forwards and backwards. Um, absolutely, will be a benefit and help with that blood supply. And I think a lot of people can kind of relate when you get up out of a desk, you're kind of like an old, like an old man. It's like, like that creepy, hunchback. like kind of. Yeah. Like. That's just because the the discs themselves have just dried up of all blood supply. Mm-hmm. So kind of just moving that and getting that um, kind of movement back in there to kind of force some nutrients in there, force some blood in there, and get that kind of. Like almost greasing the you know the old cogs that haven't had any grease through them for a while. Getting that kind of lubrication going through there again can um, yeah make you feel and however you do that and as you rightly said, um, absolutely those kind of moves will certainly be a benefit.
0: Mm. And so to answer Kath's quest, question, I guess tips to improve posture for desk workers, your best tip would be just regular movement. Every 30 minutes, get up and just move in some way, shape or form, even if it's just 30 seconds, doing a couple of light stretches and sitting back down again. Would you say that's probably your best tip in terms of posture? Even though it's not posturally
1: no, but no, absolutely. That, but also that um, three minutes on the ads on the, um, on the foam roller, I've seen mm. uh, that change people's lives by doing nothing else. Like, you know, we're, we all sit there and give the excuse, oh, I can't get to the gym. I can't. Cool. Give me three minutes on every ad break of your favorite one hour TV show, mm. lying head to toe on that foam roller, and I guarantee it will change your life. So, um, yep, absolutely. Keep moving. But even if you don't do that, do three minutes on every ad in your favorite hour TV show. And I guarantee you a lot of those problems will be alleviated to a degree where it'll feel better. I'm not saying mm-hmm. it's going to solve your problems, but it'll certainly go a long way to solving it.
0: Mm. And is that the really long foam roller or is that the shorter one?
1: Yeah, the 90 centimetre one. The long ones, yeah. Um, yeah, you can reach from your head to your bum. Um, mm-hmm. For most people, I'm a short guy, so it's easy for me. But even someone who's six foot, a 90 centimetre one from head to bum is going to be um, plenty enough to kind of lay back on.
0: Yep. So you just lay back on, you put your arms out to either side and you just you just lie there? and let your chest open out?
1: So 90 degrees at the elbow, 90 oh, okay. degrees at the shoulder. So yep. making an L shape with that. Um, and then that'll just put that shoulder in a safe position to let gravity just kind of open that up and really open up that front of that shoulder.
0: Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Such a great practical tip. All right. Um, second last question from Ash. How long does it take females to actively put on muscle and how often should we be weight training?
1: I, I love this question when you came in. Great question. Yeah, I, mm. When I saw it come through, because I know the fear is so much prevalent in females that I'm going to go to the gym and just bulk up. I'm just going to put on all this magic muscle kind of thing. And yeah.
0: Or I'm going to do this eight week program and I'm going to actively be just like a bulk. I'm just going to be so shredded in eight weeks. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, number
0: one, check
1: out the males in the gym. A lot of those males are probably training more than you and they're not jacked. They're not ripped. And so mm-hmm. this idea that a female's going to go in there, which I'm sorry to say, you do not have the genetic makeup and the hormone makeup to allowed to just have muscle lay down as readily as you want. This is probably going to be a shot fight at the industry. A lot of the very fit looking females you see on Instagram are taking anabolic steroids. 100%. They're not doing that naturally, even though they say they are. So please, please, please stop fearing the gym. So get in there. Even if you're doing three or four sessions a week and you had the perfect training program, you had the perfect nutrition, you're just not going to lay that kind of muscle down, you know, instantly like that. For men who are untrained, um, you can probably see anywhere from 10 to 15 kilos of lean muscle mass put on in a year. Mm-hmm. Now, that's the very, very beginner. Advanced beginners, uh, sorry, advanced lifters who have been going for maybe three or four years may kind of see... Two to five kilograms over a year, you know, for those experienced lifters. Mm-hmm. That's males. So for females, I, you know, I'd be lucky to see a female with a perfect program, perfect nutrition, which none of us are. No mm. one out there is being perfect with it. But let's just say you're really consistent with it. You're nailing your, um, your, your lifting. You're progressive with overload. You're getting in enough lean, uh, sorry, enough protein. Everything's right. You might put two to three kilos on in a year of quality, solid, you know. Um, lean muscle mass. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I, I really want people to kind of get away from this idea that you're just going to be a muscle bulk hulk kind of in six weeks' time. Um, you can have massive changes from what your physique looks like just because of fat loss. So, if we can maintain lean muscle mass, not this idea that we want to put it on, mm-hmm. so if you have a really good program, but you're really focused on kind of weight loss and getting rid of some body percent fat, you can get more of that lean athletic look that. You're probably looking for anyway, and you think, oh, I've got to stack on a heap of lean muscle mass to look like that. You can Mm -hmm. actually get that look by just reducing some body fat. And again, that process is a much quicker process than laying lean muscle mass. And so, you know, I can have a female lose one to two kilos a month of body fat, but I can't have them put that kind of lean muscle on. You know, one to two kilos might take me six to 12 months kind of thing. So Mm -hmm. I'd focus more on that side of it and just make the gym more focused around. A goal like I want to lift a hundred kilo deadlift I want to get to the gym five days a week I want like whatever it might be have that as your goal not how much muscle am I going to put on or how much you know I can drop my body percent fat I think exercise should be enjoyed it should be to you know in celebrate what your body can do the ability that you know, it has to recover and improve and so get down that kind of mindset of what the gym is doing for you or what exercise is doing for you rather than How much lean muscle mass and how much weight can I lose kind of from it?
0: Definitely. I like to say focus on those behavior changes, not the, the numbers exactly. And I think also a lot of um, what a lot of women don't realize as well, like I myself have been training weight training for five plus years, probably only probably with a progressive overload program for the last sort of three to four. I'm only really now starting to see some strength and muscle gains, whereas a lot of people say to me, oh, you're so strong, you're so fit, but it's like, no, I'm lean. People don't really understand it from that perspective. A lot of people say I want to gain muscle and look lean but lose fat, but most people understand that they're losing fat fat and so that muscle's being more visible. They're not actually putting on a lot of muscle. So if your goal is to honestly actively put on lean muscle you need to be eating in a calorie surplus if you're dieting like in a constant calorie deficit and your goal is like you're doing strength training you're actually gaining active muscle unless you're some sort of superhuman you've got this amazing programming in it you know you're absolutely consistent what's actually happening is that you're maintaining your muscle mass which is great and your your fat mass is dropping so you're actually seeing that lean muscle mass come through more so i think there's a big misconception particularly with females that they think they're actively putting on muscle mass but they're in these huge calorie deficits and they're really just not. So really, if your goal is to put on muscle mass, you really do need to be eating in a calorie surplus, even if it's just a slight calorie surplus. If not, you're just going to be doing yourself a whole world of disservice, and it's going to take you so much longer. Absolutely. Right. And last question from Hope: Best exercise for strong abs? I understand that you see them from a low body fat percentage, but how do you build and strengthen them? I love that question.
1: Uh, it's, it's another one of my irks in the industry again. Um, so mm. I hope I'm not annoying anyone by saying this. Um, There's been too much emphasis on core strength and getting abs because it's going to help with lower back pain or it's going to help be a a more rounded kind of athlete or whatever it might be. I almost exclusively do no ab work, like specific Mm -hmm. crunches or leg raises or things like that. The only ab exercise I really do is a hanging leg raise. Mm -hmm. So um, getting into either those dip machines where you can kind of hold yourself up with your elbows and then kind of whether you do them as a straight leg raise or a bent knee raise, Mm -hmm. um, or if you have the strength to be able to hanging from a bar and raising your knees up from uh, raising your knees or your legs up um, from there, I think is all that you need to be doing from a core perspective. And the reason I say that is if you're doing deadlifts, if you're doing weighted lunges. If you're doing a squat, a front squat, a front squat is one of the most taxing exercises on your core that you can have. You can do a hundred um, crunches. I guarantee if I get you doing a front squat, your core will be fired up so much more than those hundred crunches would ever be. So I'm, yeah, I'm a big kind of believer of getting people to do, you know, the big compound list because it'll fire your core up more than you actually realize. You're not, you might not actively thinking like, Oh, I'm doing crunches. I'm working my ad here, but Yeah, if you, and kind of unilateral type, um, sorry, uh, I say, yeah, unilateral type work. So instead of doing a barbell walking lunge or a barbell step up where the weight's kind of distributed across your shoulders, If you do just one dumbbell in one hand where you're now weighted to one side, Mm -hmm. that can be a great way to kind of really fire up your core on that one side and obviously you then do it on the other side coming back with the opposite leg, whatever you may be doing, Mm -hmm. single leg RDLs, um, step-ups, lunges, all those kind of single-sided type exercises where the weight's on one side can be, again, another great way um, to really kind of get those, those core muscles going. And then if you're combining that with a program that's reducing your body percent fat, You'll have beautiful looking abs sitting there. Um, you don't need to be doing a thousand crunches a day to kind of help that come along. But as I said, as I started off with, leg raises are the only one I add in because it crosses my hip joint as well. So I like kind of as a runner, I like to fire up my hip flexors as well as my core because I need to have a big, tall, strong body to you know stay tall and have a very efficient running stroke. Mm. Um, so that's why I put mine in there. I don't think it needs to go in everyone's program, but if you do want to do a specific core exercise, they are the ones I would do some sort of lang- um, hanging leg raise, be it, um, as I said, in a dip machine or hanging from a bar.
0: Awesome. I love how you answered that. Uh, one of my um, exercise physiologists told me years ago, I like, to get rid of all of my ab exercises. I've only ever done big compound lifts since then. I do occasionally, if it's in my programming, hanging leg raises, and that's the only ab thing I do. But generally, day-to-day, I don't do any ab exercises, and as most people just don't understand, they're really built from a low body fat percentage, not from doing a 100- hundred sit-ups but you still you go into the gym every single day and you see women just doing um you know basically just sit-ups and crunches and all these core exercises and a a little bit of like treadmill walking and then they leave the gym and they're hoping to to to, you know have that lean toned physique kind of thing oh better stop saying toned (laughs) (laughs) but you know what i mean like there's just this huge misconception that doing weights will make people so bulky whereas as you said like so many of the big instagrammers who are those big bodybuilding the the fitness chicks who say they're all natural they compete is absolutely not There are the industry is rife with use of steroids and that sort of thing, males and females as well. So Absolutely. don't think that you're going to get fully jacked just from doing some weights for a couple of times a week. Absolutely. It would take a lot of, a lot of effort. of that easy. Years like, of training, <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> I wish I could just go to the gym and do my three sessions and be jacked. It just doesn't happen. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly. All right, Adam. Well, thank you so much for all your expertise and experience. You've answered these questions wonderfully and I've learned some stuff and I'm sure that listeners at home have as well. So it's been an honor having you on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, um, just lastly, can you tell listeners where they can find you, get in touch with you? Um, do you offer online consultations at your um, practice at all and just your website and your social media handles as well?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, find me through Instagram on uh, the No Breakfast guy, um underscore between them all. Um, I talk all fat loss, fitness, health, well-being um, all over there. I do lean on the side of exercise physiology a little bit in there with regards to exercise and stuff as well. But if you're coming from an exercise physiology point of view, um, email me at info at truexphys.com and that's spelled dot com, um, and I'm more than happy to answer any there. Um, I'm in Melbourne so if you're Melbourne based or if you're ever travelling to Melbourne, my clinic is in Albert Park in Melbourne, more than happy to have you come along. Um, I am heavily booked so please uh, ring ahead of time, I don't have bookings probably for the probably the next six weeks kind of ahead so um, yeah, but I'm more than happy to help out if I can um, and I do have an online um, coaching course as well so if you want to email me and ask me any questions about what that all. Maybe I'm more than happy to talk in more detail about it.
0: Wonderful. Well, thank you so much again, Adam, for coming on the podcast. And um, guys, make sure you reach out to Adam and go follow him on social media as well. Um, and yeah, we hope to have you back on the podcast one day soon.
1: Anytime, Leanne. Thank you so much for your time.
0: Thanks so much, Adam.